0: Welcome, welcome to our one thing living room. (laughs) I love it. We sent out a Christmas newsletter and said, we're just inviting 15,000 of our closest friends to Kansas City for the holidays. It's going to be great. We're going to worship and learn a bunch. And I just love this time. So how many of you, this is your first one thing? Wow. Awesome. Well, welcome. Welcome to IHOP, to Kansas City. God bless you. And I just pray that you just would encounter him in a, in just a really special way this weekend. Oh, I'm so excited. Lots of first-timers. Well, I'm Kelsey Bolander, and my husband Randy and I have been here with our children for about three and a half years. We came from Cincinnati, Ohio. And, uh, in fact, my family's over there. I'll just have them stand real quick because I have the cutest kids in the world. Four of them, I have Jackson with the long shaggy hair, (laughs) he's 13, and Grayson is 9, he's the prophetic singer of the family. I have Zion, he's 5, he's a drummer, there he is, alright, and we have Zoe, and Zoe is somewhere, she's three months, there she is in the back, being carried by John, we adopted Zoe three months ago from Las Vegas, and she's our princess, so... That's our family and Randy directs the internships here at IHOP and I uh, Just kind of help him and run the family and I'm a prayer leader in the prayer room And we just we just love being here We just think it's a gift from the Lord to be in Kansas City for such a time as this and be a part of the prayer movement And one thing I do love to do is study the end times because when I do, it just makes me fall in love with God all over again. It's amazing. And, and today, I would like nothing more than just to spend hours with all of you, just digging deep into the scriptures and searching out the truths about the end times. I would love that. i love to do that. But we don't have time for that today. And this session is really designed to create hunger in you. And it's designed to allow the Holy Spirit a chance just to light a little fire, put a little spark in your heart about this this subject of the end of the age. Because it's it's God's plan to reveal Himself to you in in such a stunning way. And that's why the end times are relevant to your life right now, because it makes your heart alive. And I, I'm speaking just from personal experience as a teenager. The end times subject was something deep on my heart. Um, I I don't even think I knew it. I didn't have a grid for God so much. I didn't have a grid for the end times. I heard the phrase, the end of the world. Uh, But I was about 14 and I was at a camp. And one night, you know how it, the, the moon gets when it's either going to rain or not going to rain. It gets kind of red. You, you know what I'm talking about? Well, the moon was gigantic. It was a full moon and it was blood red. And, and something in me just became terrified. I don't know what I had heard about a red moon. But I was terrified and I, I went hysterical. I just totally had a meltdown. And I just kept saying, somebody, you got to help me. The end of the world is coming. Don't don't you see the moon is red? The end of the world is coming. And, you know, people were like, what do we do with this kid? She's gone off. But something, I, I, I just had to know um, what was happening at the end of the world. And then a few months later, a friend of mine who was a senior, I was a freshman at the time, Uh, She was trying to witness to me and this tells you how far off the grid I was as far as God is concerned She asked me. She said so are you a Christian? And I said no way man. My family's Baptist (laughs) I mean I just didn't know I thought she was you know, I didn't know what she was asking. Of course We probably weren't good Baptists either at the time anyway, so she connected me with her young life leader and we got to have dinner and that was going to be the place where they were going to pose the question about jesus to me and uh we're, we're sitting there i'll never forget it we're having spaghetti and i'm just eating my spaghetti we're just chit-chatting and all of a sudden something came over me and i dropped my fork in my spaghetti and i started bawling and i said you have to tell me about the end of the world what's going to happen at the end of the world and they looked at me like my hair was on fire or as if I had five eyeballs around my head. I mean, again, they, they had no, they, they didn't have anything to say to me. And I just said, you have to tell me because the end of the world is coming and I have to know about it. But they didn't have anything to say. And I went home that night and I think I freaked them out so bad. They never did witness to me about Jesus. But here's the deal. I believe that God was wooing me in those moments because of my curiosity about the end of the age. And I think it's in every one of us. I mean, you look at the left behind books. How many millions of copies have been sold around the globe? And when you talk about the apocalypse or the end of the world, people want to hear about this thing. There's a curiosity and an innate longing to know what's going to happen in the end. And I think God put it there to draw us into communion with himself. I love that about God. He's brilliant. He does things flip-flop. And I think there's a common misconception about the study of the end times that um, when you study the end times, it's all about the scary stuff. It's all about the bad stuff that's going to happen. You know, like, did you ever have a guy come to your church and he had all the the horses on velvet and you know all the plagues and just the trumpets and the seals, and you're like, "Oh, that's like oh, I can't even get into that you know it it it's not all about the bad stuff. It's not even mostly about that. It's mostly about God wooing your heart, and everybody wants to know about it uh we We did a little experiment this summer uh on six the eve of six 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 which is my birthday, by the way, which that's a little weird, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, th- this year it was weird. I guess it's not weird every year. Anyway, on the eve of 666, we went to the plaza, which is an, uh, kind of an upscale shopping district here in Kansas City, and we, we took a video camera and we asked people, what do you think about the end of the world? And it was surprising, the, r- the responses that we received, and this one woman, uh, she admitted that she was a believer in Jesus, but well, she said, no, I, I don't, I don't think the end of the world's coming. She was a little, you know, freaked out. She said, no, I, I don't like to think about that so much. I said, well, why? You know, why, why don't you like to think about it? Well, because of, of the beasts in the eyes and all that stuff. I'm like, whoa, okay. If that's your grit, I wouldn't want to think about it either. And we can't deny the negative elements. There are some negative things that are going to come about. But the end time study is really meant to fuel our heart toward love and a vibrant, vibrant spiritual life in God. I believe that knowing the details of the end time drama is part of God's precision plan to reveal his beauty to your heart and to draw you to himself. And I've had some people say to me, well, I think I'll just stick with the intimacy thing. I'm just gonna go after intimacy with God and I have end times that's just not for me so much. And I just say, that's so brilliant. Because if you do that, you're gonna get both. Because it really is both. I mean, when you explore the riches of God's blueprint for human history and the end of time as we know it, we're gonna, you're gonna discover this amazing plan that God has laid out. And it's going to fuel your prayer life and your devotional life. You're going to say, Whoa, God, you're going to do it that way? I never would have thought about that. That's amazing. And then your heart just does flip flops and you fall in love with Jesus again. It creates a burning spirit on the inside that says, I'm alive. I really am alive. I put that down too soon. See, the study of the end times is not just about negative events. It's mostly, hear this, it's mostly about the end of this age. Okay? This age where God is separated from us right now. See, now we, we can't see God face to face. He's separated. There's a veil between us and God. We're on the earth. God is in heaven that's our grid and we experience this veil and this longing to get to him and then there's the whole thing about the powers of darkness that war against our spirit to keep us separated from him but then the stage is really being set for a day when all of that is going to change god is going to bring heaven to earth Bind up Satan and all the demons that war against us. He's going to establish righteous government on the earth, and he's going to establish unbroken communion with men. It's an amazing thing, and 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 we call all of this the study of all this eschatology. That's a big word. Eschatology. <laughs> Anybody know what that means? The study of the end times. Right. Well, why don't we just say that? I'm I'm like a simple person. Let's just say that. But eschatology, really, it's biblical, it's normal, and it fuels a holy, holy lifestyle when we really get into it. I mean, references to the end times are splattered all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's, it's really stunning. I think of Paul... And how he founded the Church of Thessalonia on the the study of the end times, I mean basically Paul shows up in the city, he preaches for three weeks on the end of the age, and boom, a church is started, and here we have all these things in two thousand and six that we think have to happen to start a church, good coffee and casual dress and the friendliest church in the city and you know, no, we just need to start talking about the kingdom of God and boom, a church might get started. I think of Daniel, who the angel came to this man hundreds and thousands, thousands of years really before the end of the age, and the angel comes to him and says, I've come to make you know and understand what's going to happen at the time of the end. Why did he want, I mean, that's that's puzzles me. Why? Hundreds of years before. No, because he he wanted this written down. He wanted every generation to know that there is a hope that's coming. This world, as you know, it is not the end of the story. There's something greater. and, And he wanted us to know about it. I mean, most of the prophets give glimpses into the end times. Jesus himself gave tons of encouragements about the end of the age. But here's the key verse that I think. I think it's key revelation one three and it's Jesus himself talking. And he says this blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy or the book of revelation. Blessed are you if you read it and keep the things written in it for the time is near. I mean, Jesus puts a special blessing on the book of revelation. I mean, that that's kind of a tip-off to me that this stuff is pretty important to God. It's amazing. And it if we needed other reasons to study this kind of stuff, I mean, Jesus said so. He he gave a pretty strong warning in Matthew 24. I'll let him be the heavy on this. Here he is in this whole chapter pretty much talking about what's going to happen at the end of the age to his disciples. And he's just gotten done telling them that... You know, in the days of Noah, the people were just so uh, distracted by the cares of this world that they didn't even think it was going to rain. They didn't believe. They just mocked and they scoffed at Noah. And they said, nothing's happening. You are just such a kook. And what happened? We all know the story. He says, no, remember, remember the days of Noah? I'm coming in a day just like that. I'm coming when people are going to be distracted by the cares of this world. It's going to be like the days of Noah. And here's what he says in verse 42. This is a a very powerful warning from Jesus. He says, watch, therefore, for you don't know the hour your Lord is coming, but know this. If the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched. And not allowed the thief to break into his house. Therefore, you also be ready. Because you don't know the hour that he's coming. And what he's saying is, don't let the thief, don't let the enemy come and steal your life away. Watch. Be ready. Be sober. Know the hour. Know the, you don't have to know the date. But you can know the season. You can know when it's near. He said to watch. in Luke 21 34 through 36, he says this, but take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, that the day might come on you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare upon those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, pray always that you could be counted worthy to escape the things that are going to come and to be able to stand. See, Jesus is saying, watch. If you watch, if you prepare yourself, if you make yourself ready, you'll be able to stand in that day. And that's what he's looking for. He's coming for a bride that's spotless and ready. He's coming for one that's going to be able to stand and see the positive things in this whole deal. And so he tells us we can watch and know those things. And Jesus... Not only did he tell us to know about the end times, he he did it. He told it. He taught about it time and time and time again. He constantly taught about the end of the age and the hope to come. He always used the kingdom of God that was coming to motivate his disciples. And he was really intent that they get this. He was always telling them stories about the kingdom saying well the kingdom of god is like this or the kingdom of heaven is like that and he had a pretty good incentive program that's what i call it the kingdom of god incentive program how many of you all go to school and you get incentives for good grades yeah like parents say oh i'll give you money or a car i mean for me it used to be pizza coupons (laughs) For the reading program, I never got paid to get good grades, but so many kids I know now do, you know. We'll pay car insurance if you could just maintain that 3-5 in college. And now for my kids, it's Chuck E. Cheese tokens. Now I want to know what's up with that. It's like the most annoying place on the planet. And my kids get rewarded if they get A's and B's. And they know it. And it's weird. I don't know. That little mouse has quite a hold on them. It's like they can go from moaning and complaining to working in just a minute if they're bribed with Chuck E. Cheese tokens. But anyway, the disciples were pretty much like that, for sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, we have this idea that the disciples were some kind of cultured, respectable group of guys. And they always did what was right because they hung around Jesus. And I'm saying, no way. These were wild teenage boys. Have you ever been around a pack of wild teenage boys just turned loose on the world without parents? This was the disciples. I'm telling you. And Jesus knew that they needed incentives to keep them in line. I mean, even the night he was betrayed, they were totally going off at each other. I mean, here it is, the Passover meal, the sacred meal, and they are arguing about who was going to be best in the kingdom. Just like, you guys, you don't get it. You're with Jesus, and you're arguing. But they crack me up, but they give me hope for myself and my own kids. And for you. (laughs) But Luke 22 says, Now on that night there was a dispute. There was an argument that rose up among them as to which would be considered the greatest. And how does Jesus handle this? I mean, does he take them out to the woodshed and give them a spanking? (laughs) No, they probably all needed a good one or at least a good time out. But no, he gives them a prophetic word at this moment. He gives them a word that would free them from their arguing and complaining if they would just believe it and trust his leadership. He says in verse 28, he says, You guys are the ones who have stood with me in my trials. And because of that, I bestow upon you a kingdom, just like my father bestowed one upon me. And you're going to be able to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you're going to sit on thrones judging 12 tribes of Israel. That's amazing. They need. They needed a spanking, and Jesus is saying, no, at this point, they've got to have a hope because the thing that that's coming for them is going to be hard. And if they have this hope, it'll help them to stand. And it's the very same hope he gives us. It's that same promise. He's giving us a kingdom. Does that ring in your heart? He is bestowing upon you a kingdom with real government. And real authority. And a real feast. I mean, it's real food and real chocolate, I'm believing. And it's going to be good stuff. No, I mean, this is Jesus' promise to us. And when we believe this, hope and trust him to get us there, it can set us free and make us alive on the inside. And that's what this message is all about. It's the message of the coming kingdom of God. And it gives us a vibrant spirit. The return of Jesus in his kingdom is what the end time study is all about. And Jesus knew that I was going to need something more. He knew that you were going to need an incentive in this life. More than you're just going to get into heaven or you're not going to have to go to hell. I remember in VBS as a kid, that was so emphasized that I didn't have to go to hell Anybody know what I'm talking about, that you'd sit and they'd say, oh, come up on the third chorus of just as I am. And you don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven when you die. And I'm thinking, well, okay, I don't really want to burn forever. I guess I better go. But there was really no more incentive after that. I mean, the love of God and all of that. But the fires of hell were so emphasized to me. And I just, I just have this burning in my heart that we have begin to, we have to begin to preach the full gospel of God. Now I used to think that that meant speaking in tongues, the full gospel, (laughs) and now I, I know it's so much more that we have to tell the whole story. Yeah, the message of getting in, forgiveness of sins, but no, we have to tell them the rest of the story. What is waiting for mankind when he comes back? The forgiveness of sin is necessary, but that's just the entrance point. That's just the foundation. It's not the whole story. There's so much more. I know my son went to a camp this summer, and uh, it was a really great camp. It it was uh, designed for high school kids that they would learn to know why they believed what they believed. It was like 26 hours in Christian apologetics, just digging into the words so they would know. And on the last day, they had like a little parents' day where we got to come and see them, uh, see what they learned. And the, the instructor would stand up and say, what is the nature of God? And they would respond. And what is the nature of man? And they re- responded. But something gripped my heart when the, when the guy said, and what is the purpose of the cross? And I heard 200 teenagers say in unison, the forgiveness of sin And that we might have a good life here on earth. And I thought, there's more. And? And? What happens when we don't have a good life on earth? What happens when we have trials? Was the cross not good enough? This half gospel is only setting us up for failure in life in God. We have got to know the rest of the story. And that rest of the story is that the man, Jesus Christ, is returning to the earth to set up his kingdom forever. I mean, heaven, heaven is coming down to the earth. And you sitting in these chairs, every one of you is going to have government with God. You're going to govern the earth with Jesus Christ. That is that it almost is too much for my mind to comprehend. But Jesus used this, this whole point to motivate His disciples time and time again. He didn't say to them, hey, you're going to have a good life here on earth. Come follow me. In fact, He said quite the opposite. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble and you're going to have trial, but be glad because I have overcome the world. And that's what He's called us to do, overcome. He says, I'm going to bring in a new world, I'm bringing in a new order, and you're going to sit down on thrones, just like in Narnia. <laughs> I loved that movie. And like at the end, when those kids are sitting up there on the throne and getting crowns, I'm just like, me too! I want one too! Now, I was probably the only person who had not read the book by the time they were 30, <laughs> And so when I saw the movie, it was all new to me, but I thought that is such a picture because it is so true. That is, that is what it's going to be like. I get to be like Lucy. Oh my gosh, that is so stunning. I get to rule with Jesus. I mean, did, did anyone else love that scene? Maybe it was just me. All right. Some takers in the back. I loved it. It just set my heart on fire. And this is the hope that we are called to trumpet to our generation on the earth. This is the hope of the end of the age. And we get all tripped up thinking it's about all the bad stuff. I mean, when you look at the study of the end times in this light, you realize the end of the age isn't mostly about tribulation. It's mostly about the end of this age and the ushering in of promise. The things we've waited for. I mean, we aren't taught so much all this stuff. But like one of the Bible's laden with promises. Pick. I just challenge you. Find them. Uh, Romans eight seventeen, Revelation 24, verse 4, reigning with Christ. I could go on and on. My favorite is Daniel eleven thirty two, that the people who know their God are going to be strong and carry out great exploits in that day. That should satisfy a sense of adventure in some of you. That's what I'm longing for. I mean, we aren't taught so much this kind of stuff in, in basic Sunday school. I, I went, I graduated from a Christian high school. I went to Sunday school as a teenager. And I, I never remember hearing about this kind of stuff. I remember hearing about the American dream. I mean, even the Christian American dream. That I could do anything I wanted, even as a, as a girl. These were the days of girls, cause we could do anything now. Girls could go to college, we could be the president, I mean we could do anything. We can do anything we want if we just work hard and build our future. We can do it! That's what we're taught. And this mentality, here in, really it's just the West, I mean it produces in us a measure of depression. <laughs> and guilt if we don't live up to our own expectations. I mean many of you are under 25 in this room, but let me tell you this kind of this kind of mentality by the time you're 25 and you haven't lived up to some of those dreams, you're going to be depressed. And then when you're 30 and then when you're 50 and you're saying, "Oh my god, what have I done with my life? Have I done what I wanted to do?" I had my own hopes of changing the world for Jesus when I got out of high school. I was 18. I was somewhat radical. I liked to think of myself that way. Um, My hopes were a little bit warped, I realize now. But I was going to go to Bible college, this radical young believer in Jesus. And I was going to be a pastor and a church planner. And by golly, I was going to be the first woman chaplain to the United States Senate. Thank you very much. I had a pink backpack. Back then, I'm old. but back, And back then, pink backpacks were kind of radical. Like, it was bright pink. And I carried around this little book of prayers that the Senate would pray. The chaplain of the Senate would pray. And I'd pray these prayers. And I was just going to take the world for God and change this nation. And we were going to have revival. And I... I, I Remember, even people cheering me on saying, yeah, you can do it, man. You're, you, yeah, go for it, Kelsey. You can do this. But no one, even in my Christian circles, prepared me for reality. And nobody <laughs> told me this stuff about the hope of the age to come to, to kind of steady me. I remember in my first year in college, I met Randy. I fell in love and we got married that next summer. I'm 19. So now I'm married and now there's two of us full of zeal going to change the world for Jesus. And two is better than one. <laughs> and all of a sudden my romantic notions were not coming true. I mean, we got married and came back and our youth group of five had dwindled to two. And uh, we were making 50 bucks a week at the church we were in in a little rural town in Kansas. And I was having to work a job at the ice cream store and selling newspapers door-to-door just to pay the rent. And uh, I wasn't doing this big public ministry on the platform having thousands saved like Amy Simple McPherson. And I thought, well, I'm only 19. Maybe I'll give it a couple years. Maybe by the time I'm 21. You know, I just have to go a little slower. And I never realized that a few years later, I would be introduced to babies and diapers and Barney videos. And and I really wasn't doing the ministry like I thought anymore. And, and I, I had all these prophetic words just laying around my feet about going to the nations and thousands getting saved. And you all have them. How many people are going to the nations? How many have had a prophetic word? I mean, it's like, get your passport ready. You're going. I just wish somebody would have said... The sermon on the life, on the mount lifestyle is okay. Because the, the majority of your prophetic words will not come true in this age. It's the age to come. There is hope. This story, as you know it, is going to end and something more glorious is going to come. I wish somebody would have told me that when I was 18. It would have given me hope. It would have given me hope to lay down my life. And say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to be the last so I can be the first. Because I know what's coming. My hope is in you. I wish somebody would have told me that. I mean, I loved God so much. But I didn't have an eternal view. And I didn't... I i wasn't filled with hope for the age to come. I mean, we have to ask God for a, for a view of eternity. You know, we don't have a... Oh, angels. I'm hearing angels. (laughs) Oh, it's just Misty leading in there. Okay. We need to know what eternity is really like. Evil ending on the earth. No disease. No sorrow. No tears. Seeing God face to face. True justice being established on the earth. This is the hope that we have. This is eternity. I mean, I used to think eternity was really boring for real. No, for real. I mean, I loved God, but and everybody was saying that Jesus was coming back at any minute. But I just thought, oh, I hope he doesn't come back today. There's so many things I want to experience before he comes back. I mean, I I wanted to get my driver's license and learn what it was like to drive a car. You know, then I wanted to go to college and move away from home. And then I wanted to know what it was like to be married and have babies. And the list goes on because I wasn't grounded in eternity and in that hope. I thought that uh, when Jesus came back or if I died, that was the end to fun as I knew it. (laughs) Because I was going to heaven. I was going to sit on a cloud and be issued a harp, which I didn't play at the time. And have to sit there a couple billion years and sing a song and maybe fall down at somebody's instruction. I just didn't get it. I just thought, well, heaven's gonna be kinda boring, isn't it? I mean, this cloud ministry is a little tame. I was up for adventure and and life and fun and I don't wanna sit on a cloud. No. We have to get the right perspective of heaven. See, it's a place where God lives. And there's fire. Around his throne, and there's constant movement of the spirit in heaven, and there's activity and it's it's an amazing place and we want we want to experience this thing. It's coming down here to the earth. Heaven is coming to the earth, and when it does, it, we're going to have so much life and activity and we get to help orchestrate it with Jesus. It's all going to be done with righteous leadership. Can you imagine? All the fun you want to have under the banner of righteousness, it's almost too much to imagine. I mean, all the adventure you can think of, and the good guy wins in the end. I mean, Jesus himself really is wild at heart. John Eldridge didn't come up with that idea. Jesus is the one who said, no, I'm all for adventure. It's like Lord of the Rings and Narnia and Indiana Jones all wrapped up into one. And it's real. It's adventure and mystery and love and drama and war. And the good triumphs over evil. And we are all right in the middle of it with Jesus as our leader. I mean, no wonder Hollywood is so successful at grabbing our hearts and our money. You know why? Because the human spirit longs to see righteous, the righteous have victory and love win in the end. I mean, a really good movie has those three elements, doesn't it? Love and good and evil. And if it's a great movie, then love and, and the good guy always wins. And if, it, and if they don't win, then we're left feeling like, oh, that was not a good ending. Let me go home and dream up a better ending. But what better story could we get than the end of time as we know it, where Jesus wins his bride with love and righteousness? Stunning. You know, I have to think about this like 10, 15 times a day. I'll just, I'm just being real with you. I mean, when I, I'm a mom now. I'm a mom of four. And I would love to be in the prayer room, but I, I can't always get there with four kids and homeschooling and laundry and meals and la da 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 da. And when I am up to my eyeballs in all of that stuff, I have to remind myself, heaven is coming to earth. Heaven is coming to earth. This is not my reality forever and ever. I am not going to have ten piles of laundry forever. It's eternal. It's like constant, but it's not going to be forever. I mean, Ephesians 1.10 tells us that when the times have their fullness, God is gathering heaven and earth together under Christ, and they become one. It's amazing. I think of all the promises of the, for the overcomer in the book of Revelation. I get a new name. God prophesies over me and he's going to hand me a new name. I get to stay in the temple of God and in his presence forever. I mean, this kind of thinking fuels my boring days. Fill in the blanks. Research papers, exams, working the fry machine, babysitting your little brother. Anything that you really don't want to be doing, this is kind of thinking can transform can transform your heart into knowing this is not my reality forever jesus is coming back to the globe now let me ask you this um how many got cool gifts at christmas like something you're like that is so cool i'm so glad i got it the rest of you i'm sorry (laughs) yeah (laughs) and my kids were like wanting the newest thing video game thing I'm so old, I know. We just said no. There's such a distraction. Just a blanket no. You don't get them. You can go to your friend's house and play them. You're not going to play them in our house. But like I I I was a little bit uh intrigued with this new Nintendo Wii. Like I'm just thinking did the marketing department have something better to do that day that they came up with the name Wii? I mean, you got the Xbox 360, you got the PS3 and the Wii. The Wii. That's just so lame. We. Anyway, but, but every year it's something new. It's like the PS2. That's, you know, that's out the window. No, it's a PS3. I mean, every year it's something new. And there's a strange phenomenon. I'm talking to parents this week. Christmas was, what, like five days ago, something like that. And parents are saying, telling me they've spent hundreds of dollars in gadgets and, and technology and new toys. And the next day the kids are like, Mom, I'm bored. There's nothing to do i'm like look under the tree no i'm i'd already did all that and i'm thinking no you know why we do that because we're not grounded in eternity because we're always wanting to be fascinated by the next big deal and the next toy on the market and if we can be fascinated by jesus and the hope that he has to come then that's going to just make our hearts alive so I, I just say, if if you're bored, if you're or if you're going to get bored next week, ask yourself this question: What am I allowing myself to be fascinated by? Because if we could let ourselves be fascinated with the love of Jesus and establish our hearts in that, then we will be able to stand. You know, James in James five eight he says, "Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand." And this really should make us tremble and take note. We establish so many parts of our lives, our soccer skills, our academics, our friendships, all with the best intentions. And none of these things are wrong. But at the end of the day, if we're not rooted and grounded in the love of God, we're just becoming clanging symbols. And you know that this generation is wanting more than just a clanging symbol. They need messengers. You know, um, we, Randy and I put together this Omega series and we're getting feedback from groups all around the world, really. And they're not saying, they're not saying after they go through the group, oh, I need more information. Can you give me more technicalities? Can you tell me, you know, are the, w- which seal is going to be opened when? No, they're saying, oh no, I'm so messed up. This is totally messed up our lives. How should we live? We're trembling on the inside. How should we live? And there's a generation on the earth that that needs messengers so that they know how they are to live. See, studying the end times doesn't make you weird. Well, unless you were weird before, then I guess you're still weird. But it it doesn't make you weird. It presses you into friendship with God. That's what it's designed to do. And we've got to be pressed into him because here's the deal. The bottom line is, Revelation 17 tells us that there is a man coming, the Antichrist, on the earth, and that the whole earth is going to marvel at him. Do you know what marvel means? Stand in awe of. Wonder. They're going to gaze at him. And unless we're fascinated by Jesus and his hope to come, we will marvel at this man. Because it also says that in Second Thessalonians, the coming of the Antichrist is going, to, is going to be with all deceiving powers and signs and wonders and wonderful things. But they're not wonderful. They're deception. And if we are not fascinated with Jesus, we will be deceived. So we should watch and be sober. And there are messengers right here in this room that need to be baptized with the beauty of Jesus. And we have just... Like one minute left and they're going to ask us to leave this room So here's what I want to do I just want everybody to close their eyes just for a minute because I believe that the lord wants to mark messengers today And there's I I I know I didn't answer tons of questions today. I may have Raised a bunch more of questions than I answered But my prayer has been coming into this that the lord would leave you with hunger And that the Lord would would let there be a burning on your spirit. And there's two groups of people here today that I believe the Lord wants to just mark. And those of you, the first group, those of you who have a burning on your heart right now, you feel the love of God, you feel the burning. You may not understand all this stuff, but you feel the burning of God on your heart. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand all across this room. Okay, there's many God, mark these ones as messengers, Jesus. Let the burning of their heart increase, God. Even in these next hours and days in this conference, would you just mark these as messengers, Jesus? Holy Spirit, capture them. You see their raised hands. God, just just grab them. You are messengers. If your heart is burning right now, you are a messenger. God is raising you up for this very thing. He is going to fascinate your heart in a real way, even in these next days. Okay, the second group, very quickly, those, you may not feel anything at all, but there's something within you that say, I want to burn. I don't understand and I don't feel anything right now, but I want it. I desire it. Let me see your hands. If you are saying, I want to burn, I want to be a messenger. I want this for my life. God, you see this group. And these are no less important on your agenda, God, than the ones who are feeling something right now. God, I pray for a burning spirit within these ones that have their hands raised. God, you see them reaching out to you with desire. Father, increase it, God. Increase their desire. Let there be a burning upon their hearts. Let there be a vibrant spirit within them because they know and are baptized in the hope of the beauty of God in the age to come jesus and for every single one in this room hands raised or not i ask god that you would just set them now set them with their faces looking toward heaven and toward what you have for us when you return let this reality be that this is not the end of our story it goes on forever and you have many rewards to bring in the age to come lord we love you and holy spirit i ask that you seal this time